Welcome to the Unveiling Grace podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. Allow this grace to take your life and your relationships to another level as it frees you from the weight of performance-based religion. Enjoy another episode as Joel Groh and Lynn Wilder share encouraging stories and candid dialogue that can help you experience a grace that heals. Welcome to another episode of the Unveiling Grace podcast. I'm Lynn Wilder. And I'm Joel Grote. And once again, we have Pastor John Benziger with us, Redeemer Bible in Gilbert, Arizona. And what we're talking about in our episodes with him is just biblical reliability. Can we trust the Bible? Why should we trust the Bible? What sort of evidences? And And sufficiency. Right. Why is it the only piece of scripture that we need, right? Exactly. Why does it cover all of our bases for what we need for a knowledge of God? Yeah. Well, at the end of the last podcast, we were talking a little bit about feelings. Feelings are kind of special to me. I have feelings about them. because You have feelings about your feelings, Lynn? <laughs> the performance-based religion I came from taught me to test whether something was true by how I felt about it. So the more emotional it made me, particularly if I got emotional about it and tears came, that had to be the Holy Spirit telling me something was true. When I get into the Bible, I realize there's all the this um, evidence and and logic and reasoning that you can apply to this book. And so, do I throw feelings out? Do I only go with evidence? No, what I learned was the God of the Bible uses both logic internal consistency, evidence, and there's a subjective component to faith as well. So what I often say to my Mormon friends is, what if you had a faith that only used feelings to tell truth? What if you had a faith that used logic, reasoning, (laughs) historical evidence, manuscript, la 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 la, you know, linguistic evidence, DNA evidence, but also had a subjective component? Wouldn't that be a bigger faith? Well, the cool thing about that would be it would be speaking to the whole person rather than just one part of who we are. Oh, yeah. Right? And the other part of it, too, is that feelings were never meant to be the test for truth. We were never meant to use our feelings to test whether or not something is true. Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. So we're we're not meant to trust our own feelings. What what you see in the Bible, so for instance, uh, Psalm Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. So there's emotion, shout joyfully. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. So it goes, transitions right from emotions right to, uh, to, to truth, to ideas, to know that the Lord is God. He made us, not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. Then it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So there's the emotions again. And the courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. There's, there's, the, there's the ideas. There's the theology again. That God does not tell us to, 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 to separate these two. God wants both of them together, but it's always truth that then that drives the train and it's feelings that follow. It's not the other way around. Ooh. Absolutely. One, one of the more um, profound verses for me was Matthew 15, 19. Maybe I should look that up really quickly. Okay. It talks about the heart yes. being wicked. 
For out of the mm-hmm. heart comes evil thoughts, yes, murders, yes, adulteries, yes, fornications, yes, thefts, yes. fall, witness, slander. But here's the here's the part. Out of the heart come evil thoughts. Here's the one that blew me out of the water. False testimony is listed False as witness. one of the wicked things that can come from your feelings. What? You're saying that That's your good. evil heart can give you a false sense of what's true? Oh, so I can stand at a podium for 30 years and ball and say, I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. And yet, they came from a wicked heart that had not been born again and didn't know the God of the Bible. And was going contrary to so much of the evidence about who Joseph was as a person. Exactly. The yeah. false testimony can come from feelings. That's Jeremiah 17, 9, right? Mm-hmm. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can know it? But God says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Mm-hmm. And so there is a, that. and how does God do that? He does that with his living an active word. So tell us how that works. How what works? How does he test our minds? How yeah, does he, because yeah. we have ideas, we have thoughts in our heads. And what happens is we often think, so from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep, there's an internal dialogue going on in my head. And the problem that people have, including myself, is that we listen to ourselves rather than speaking back to ourselves. Yeah, some people have set up to 1300 words a minute, our self-talk. Right. And so all of this self-talk is going on and we listen to it and we let it take us wherever it goes rather than speaking truth back to it. That's why the Bible is called the sword of the spirit. It doesn't just attack attack secular ideas outside of us in books and movies and whatnot, but it also attacks the inner dialogue going on and sets it straight with the truth. And so, for for instance, you have Psalm 42 and 43 where where the, the, the writer is going down in the depths of despair and then he says, why he starts speaking to himself, hey self, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. So his emotions were taking him down on the roller coaster, and then he speaks to himself and he gets back up again. But you see, Psalm 42, 43, he goes up and down, up and down, up and down. He ends with, hey soul, listen up trust in the Lord. So for us, that's going to be trust in his word, trust what the word says rather than what my feelings say. So do you think this corresponds also to what, when the apostle Paul says that we're to take every thought captive so that we don't just let our thoughts run wild, but when a thought comes into our head, we grab that thought and we take it captive. We look at it and we say, okay, this thought, how does this thought correspond to what I know is true, to what God has revealed? Yeah, and I don't let that thought go until I've assessed, is this coming from the spirit? Is this representing truth or is this actually representing something false? And that looking at those thoughts for me was a five year process because my performance based wow. religion had taught me this was true. 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 And then I began to read the word of God going, that doesn't line up here. That doesn't line up here. Whoa. Um, literally, I think when you believe something that's not true, it sets up a stronghold in your brain that's biological. You want to keep going back to that untruth. You don't know what to replace it with. Well, this is how I learned to replace things that weren't true or that were downright lies, was to go to what is true. And then it, this says it washes you by the water of the word. So the more I was in there, the more the lies got out, the things that weren't true went away. 
away and my brain didn't have to keep going there anymore and what was true got in there wow but because there were so many untruths in my head i was an emotional wreck through the process and it was a five-year process i was in mm. this word all the time and that's that is a, i hope is a very encouraging thing for your listeners to hear that this isn't something that just you get zapped and then suddenly everything's okay no it, it takes time it takes it takes listening to a podcast like this maybe multiple times to get the truth sunk into your head as as you're going through this process but so and then great. for your actions to follow that truth Absolutely. that's finally in your head yeah. so here's what I, and i don't think i've ever asked you this question before so as you're going through that five-year process of renewing your mind of i'm sure at times just incredible emotional trastornamiento that's spanish what is that in english um just upheaval mm -hmm. um where things are just going crazy how do you experience how does god walk through that with you um how does he incur how does because I'm, I'm assuming it had to be god that kept you sane and and kept you in the process because that'd be incredibly hard i can't imagine being put into that so well, how did you experience God in the middle of all that? I found God in the Word. And I no longer then could trust those hyper-emotional kind of feelings that I used to have that I thought was God. And I'm, I'm kind of a researcher, logical brain, so that worked for me because this had internal consistency. It was making sense. It was repeating the message over and over. I was able to sort out wait a minute, there's no pre-existence. He formed me in the womb, right? right. Yeah. Not before. But I had to read a lot of that because there were so many untruths that had to be untangled. So it's a deprogramming process, really, okay. and then relearning process. And honestly, I remember a point, so it was both the word and prayer. I remember being face down one day saying, Lord, I... I don't know if this will ever come to an end. You know, this has been so difficult. And um, I felt as if, I just felt as if the Lord was saying to me, hang on, you know, hang on, you're about to rise up, literally. And there, and after about five years of being in here enough, asking my pastor enough questions, researching things, um, I got to a point where I felt stable. I kind of knew who I was in Christ. Christ. I kind of knew what this said, mm. but it took me quite a while to get there. And you had to trust that what you were being exposed to here was truth. Yeah, and that's the huge thing, leaving the Mormon church, is it right. not? People do not trust this thing, right. so this is what we're hoping to address. Yeah. Right, and so <laughs> this is going to take me back to John to say, okay, yeah. so what other evidences do we have? We've got manuscript evidence, uh -huh. we have an incredible internal consistency and coherency, uh -huh. but there's more. Um, Absolutely, there's a lot more. So for me, the next one would be archaeological evidence. There is the coolest thing about about the Bible is you can actually go to the places that the Bible talks about in so many instances. And so, or you can go to museums and see with your own eyes evidence of, of the scripture. So I can just run through a few of them. There's an altar in, jo in, in Joshua chapter eight. You can go to that altar on, on top of the, on top of, um, you, you can see Joshua's altar. You can go to the, the, the museum wow. in, in, uh, in Cairo and you can see the oldest inscription with the word Israel 
engraved on the King Marineptus Stella. Like you can see it. There's you can go to to the actual stream where Gideon's men were chosen in Judges seven. I mean, I could just I could do this. I could do dozens of these. Just this past year, 2018, there were two little clay seals that were found at the same level, just outside the steps of the uh, of the temple in Jerusalem the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, in the same level of sediment, you had one seal that very clearly says King Hezekiah. So it's King Hezekiah's actual stamp. And one meter away, there is a broken seal. You can clearly see the word Isaiah, and you can see the first three letters of the word prophet. So some want to say, well, that might be his last name. Scholars are debating back and forth. That's not really. But there is an extension of the seal. You can tell that the seal extended out where that letter would have clearly been so it is wow. so at the same level just found last year king hezekiah seal one meter away most likely isaiah seal and mm -hmm. the bible says they were contemporary, they were contemporary. Mm -hmm. isaiah they were was the prophet during hezekiah's, hezekiah's reign, reign. Right? absolutely and so, so there are dozens there are dozens of these that david's name found in the on stella's like there's just so much evidence for the bible so do you have like key articles because i'm thinking the people that listen to us one of the things we provide is show notes and so yes. anything we can't like show people so yeah. will you be could you give us some links that we could even include in the show notes mm -hmm. to some of these things yeah. so that people can so we can save them the time and they can just go click okay here it is here's a picture of this here's this article that talks about it and obviously yeah, not absolutely. everything because there's huge amounts but there's so much so i would say there is i mean there's a there are youtube videos out there that are like the the 10 most important archaeological discoveries for the right. bible in 2018 and 2017 and 2016 like they just keep going back because they're constantly finding more things and okay. so yeah, I can do that. There's a book through the British Museum with the Bible where you take this little this little book and you go into the British Museum and it just shows you like here's proof of King Sennacherib from Assyria and here's proof of King Jehu from from uh, from the book of, uh, of, of of Judges. It's just over and oh, I'm sorry, from the book of Kings over and over and over again. You can walk throughout that museum with this little book or or in that book, it's got pictures of everything. So you can just you don't even need to go to the British Museum. You can just sit and look at this book with all the pictures as it explains what you're reading and just marvel at the archaeological evidence for the Bible. Wow. Unbelievable. So Mike and I, once we got saved, got so interested in all of this archaeology that we went to Israel and we okay, were so cool. blown away by only two weeks in Israel because you can't even touch what's there, right? In two right. weeks, every day, all day, going places that we were back within 11 months. We just Amen. overwhelmed. We helped a woman out of the Mormon church one time who had taught religion for the LDS, but gone to Israel oh my. <laughs> as part of her being interested in the Bible. So blown away by the evidences, she stayed in Israel a whole year and then came home and called me up and said, wow, I think the Bible's true. I don't think the <laughs> Book of Mormon is, right? right. Because <laughs> when you come to the Book of Mormon, there's none of this. Nothing. There's no manuscript evidence. There's no internal consistency or coherence. Mm -hmm. There's certainly no archaeological evidence, not like we have for the Bible. And so you have to cross your fingers, close your eyes and just really, really hope that it's true. Yeah. With no evidence to support it. No Christian has to do that. They might do it because they don't know the evidence. But once you know that there is evidence, no Christian has to do that. Right. So you've covered archaeology. Um, some what else, what else do you have? Because I know yeah. there's... What the Bible does is it claims to be God's word. And then what God says is, test me by this. I'm going to write history in advance 
to show you that I am outside of time and I predict the future by predicting the future. And so predicted prophecy is the most incredible faith uh, strengthening um, exercise to do. And so when it comes to the fulfilled prophecy of the Bible, that the Messiah would be born in the line of Judah, born in the line of David, Israel's captivity would be predicted only 900 years before it happened. There's just so that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem 700 years before it happened. They, the name of Cyrus, the one who would liberate the Jews, let them go back to their homeland. He is named in the book of Isaiah, chapter 44 and 45, 150 years before he was born. All of these things. It, it is just, it is unbelievable. The, the amount of predicted prophecy in the Bible that shows not just not the Nostradamus kind of you've got to interpret it and make it fit to historical realities. No, it is it is clear. It is accurate. It is specific because God says, test me by this. Note, like here's a way to test whether or not the scriptures are true. Do yeah. I predict the future? Does what I say about the future come to pass? That's Isaiah 40 to 48. Yeah. And, and not just in one human's lifetime, right? Literally right. hundreds of years Absolutely. sometimes. And even in Jesus' life, the at the time of his life, when he was least able to make choices to do anything, namely his birth and his death, that's when most of the prophecy was being fulfilled. So it's not like he could have manipulated this when he was a baby. It's not like he could manipulate this stuff from the cross. Right. This and isn't then. where he's going, oh, look, at this is predicted about me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go do it now. Right. Right. This is Not stuff that was totally out of his control. Absolutely. And yet it comes to pass right. just like it's foretold. Yeah. Um, Which makes me think of the uh, White Horse prophecy, right? So here right. you have Joseph Smith prophesying that there would be a president in the United States who was LDS, who saved the U.S. Constitution, and yet... They have to continually try to arrange things so that that prophecy might come to pass, right? Right. And yet, in the Bible, God's pretty good about doing it without, without even humans. Helping. He doesn't need us. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't Absolutely. need us to do to, to make His plans come to pass. And that blew me away about this God too. Absolutely. Very real. Very personal. Literally Absolutely. shows up. So when you think through why should I trust the Bible, we've talked through five different reasons why. The first is Jesus. Jesus had an extremely high view of the Bible. We didn't get into a lot of that. He said all the, the words come from the Bible, uh, from God himself, but he affirmed the existence of Adam and Eve. He affirmed the existence of Noah, Jonah being in a, in a, in a big fish for three days and three nights. Things that were completely, people read the Bible and go, that stuff's crazy. Jesus affirms it. So Jesus viewed the Bible. Right. You have a consistent message from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation it is in, internally consistent. There are, there's archaeological evidence that we've just scratched the surface of. There's manuscript evidence we've just scratched the surface of. And there's predictive prophecy that we've just scratched the surface of. Those five reasons are why someone should trust the Bible. Then add to that the way that the message of the Bible has changed your life, changed my life, has yes. changed our lives. Mm. That becomes the uh, result of a trustworthy Bible is a changed life. And so on top of the fact, not just our changed lives, but when the Bible gets into a culture, reading goes up, education goes up, hospitals go up, orphanages go up. Our world gets better when the Bible seeps into a culture. Even things that, that previous generations did wickedly through the Bible, like slavery, Christianity comes along and fixes that too. And so this book has transformed lives on a micro scale individually and on a macro scale. So this book, let alone those that, that logical evidentiary things, there is personal, practical ways that this book changes lives and still continues to this day. That is why someone should trust the Bible. Right. And that would be our challenge for you, our listener, 
no matter where you are in your faith walk or spiritual journey, I don't care if you've been a believer for your whole life, um, there is so much in the Bible, and if you've never read it cover to cover, I would encourage you to find a Bible reading plan. There's lots of them out there. Do it in a year, do it in two years. Um, take as long as you want. Every time I get a new version of the Bible, what I do is I take that Bible and I read it through. I think this last one probably took me five years to actually read that Bible all the way through cover to cover. But there's so much there. But even if you're not a believer, put the Bible to the test. Take it up, read it with the eyes of a child, and just let the Bible speak to you. You don't even have to really... Okay, you do have to trust it in some sense, but if you're just willing to read it for what it says and say, you know what, God, if you're here, if you're really in these pages, I'm open to you showing up to me. If you're willing just to do that, I can tell you, God will show up, but you better be ready to have him mess with your life. <laughs> and like with you... He did for me, but I think, you know, he softens certain hearts and then they're, they're ready. They're, right. they're open to listen. So because my son had had such a profound experience with the word and it had changed his life, like why would a young kid who loves Mormonism, all he ever wanted to do was go on a mission as yeah. a Mormon missionary, and then he comes home totally changed and he's willing to go against his church, against his leaders, against his parents. He had a fiance that was Mormon, you know, we had a scholarship at BYU. Something profound happens to a human being to make them change direction like that. Yeah. He said it was the Bible. And so when I read it, oddly it did the same for me. <laughs> yeah. It took a while. Right. Yeah. But as I'm reading it, I'm just blown away. This isn't the same message. This is not, the, I don't recognize that. Whoa, this guy can do that? Are you kidding me? And then, I mean, not only am I interested in the stories, but God begins to change me personally so that one of the weird things I remembered after two or three months of just obsessively reading the Bible is I didn't think about the same things anymore. So oh, Mormonism, okay. it was all about my appearance, my family's appearance, whether my kids were the smartest and best athletes, and all of a sudden I'm not thinking about that anymore. The whole appearance thing kind of went away. Did all you have like a really nice garden and yard? Oh, I always did, and flowers. Yeah, I came home from work late, put dinner on the table, and, and then pulled the weeds out of my flowers, yeah. Even those kind of things. So the more I was in the Word, God was literally changing me. Transforming. I knew that. I didn't know where it was going. But um, this God will do amazing things with your life yeah. if you'll just come to learn about Him. And it's not something you can conjure up. It's not a mythical thing where you right. just have this idea of God and he, He's some universe out there somewhere, right? Um, he's a very real personal somebody that you can have a relationship with. And who you'd better be ready to have invade your space. <laughs> and yet, well, I think you used the word gentle. Yes. He was gentle with you. He didn't come in with a sledgehammer and start. I mean, the changes he brought about, yeah. he brought about as you were able to handle them in his timing, in his way. And he'd bring them back again, kind of, if I didn't get it. Give like a chance to get it. So he's patient. <laughs> On third and fourth, and yeah. Yeah, because some of the changes were hard to take. Yeah. And it took a while. So, but he's worth it. He's worth investigating. 
So, John, as a pastor, what's going through your head as you hear this dialogue? I mean, you're working with people all the time who need change, transformation. You could probably share all sorts of stories of life transformation and what the Word has done. Absolutely. I can. I think um, to do that, I think it starts with how, how did the, the Word affect me? Because I said before, I, I grew up going to church, so I always heard the Bible. I made professions of faith multiple times. And God saved me. My life changed. And that was the summer between my, my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college. I got to my first day of college. My first class was anthropology, so it was destroying what I had believed about creation. My next class was um, philosophy, so it was going right after everything that wow. I had just previously given my life to. And then my third class was English, where the, where the professor decided he would use the Bible in English class to cut at, at anybody's trust in the Bible. And so my first three classes, my first day of college, were attacks against the Bible. So I remember leaving school that day going, I'm either the biggest idiot for, for embracing Christianity or there has to be answers. There has to be answers to all of this. And that set me on a trajectory that even culminates in what we talked about today, studying this stuff. And then I remember being in college, in junior college, talking to a professor in front of class, telling him like, what you're saying is not true. I know you're a Methodist preacher, but what you're telling us is not true. Class was not happy with me. I didn't really care, but it was at break time when a friend of mine came up to me and was like, hey, so I just watched what happened in class. Why do you trust the Bible? Why do you do that? And it was wow. that question that had me going, okay, I need to, I need to have an answer for this question because people are going to ask us why. Right. And so from there, the Bible absolutely has radically transformed people's lives here. Because what we do is we say the Bible is sufficient, meaning you don't need to go outside the Bible for any spiritual help at all. Nothing. Right. It is adequate. It equips us for every good work. Second Timothy 3.17. Wow, powerful stuff. Absolutely. And again, uh, just know that wherever you're hearing it, you can always get uh, download through iTunes, unveilinggracepodcast.com. And there, there are show notes. Um, we're trying to work on getting transcripts up. Uh, but the show notes are your friend because there'll be links to scriptures, to things we've mentioned. So we just want to encourage you to, um, to seek it out for yourself. Put the Bible to the test. Put God to the test. He's a very real personal God. He wants to show up for you. He wants to transform your life with his truth. Not afraid of the test. Right. No. And try him and he'll change your life forever. Grace and peace until the next podcast. So long. Thank you for listening to the Unveiling Grace podcast. Join us next time for another conversation devoted to helping your life and relationships flourish. As always, you can find show notes, program transcripts, and leave us your comments and questions at unveilinggracepodcast.com. For a limited time, we are offering the Wilder's book, Seven Reasons We Left Mormonism, for a donation of any amount. Go to unveilinggracepodcast.com and click on the free book button to request yours. We greatly appreciate your support for the Unveiling Grace podcast, where you can experience a grace that heals.